Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 131 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Lena Berlin. Lena is a co-founder of Public, a research and design company working in space. She brings 15 plus years experience in social science research and human-centered design to the architecture, planning and development industry. An experienced consultant, she has delivered large-scale service and experience design projects to Australia's largest organizations and has helped them understand people in environments as diverse as public roads, retail, hospitals and museums. Her goal at Public is to open the conversation about what users can bring to a design process and how architects and developers can benefit from behavior user insights in the work. She gets fired up about participatory design, anthropology, and bringing back the human into our lived environments. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Lena's insights into the Australian social innovation sector. We'll get Lena's thoughts and perspective on social innovation opportunities, and we'll hear what Lena believes is the best way to tackle complex community issues and enhance lives. So Lena, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. So to kick things off, Lena, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you to a career specialising in design and social innovation? Sure. Well, I'm a truly interdisciplinary researcher and designer, and I've crossed um, many disciplines in my time, uh, including information science, education, cultural studies, anthropology, and social psychology. Uh, I've migrated twice in my adult life. Where from? Um, from Germany to Russia and from Russia to Australia and I've had quite a few career tweaks as you can imagine. Mm. I was lucky enough to work on some pretty interesting projects to do with research and design. For example, I worked on a year-long project that investigated the coordination and team norms of architects and building teams across Germany, Australia, the US and India. Uh, In another role, I was part of an interdisciplinary project team that designed and delivered the multi-million dollar uh, redevelopment at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, Mm. um, the exhibition that's now called Screen Worlds, I believe. Um, I've also held senior roles in some well-known human design, uh, human-centred design agencies in Melbourne and consulted to the largest organisations, including government across Australia, and so got to see the impact of design on social innovation. Like most interdisciplinary designers, um, I haven't always called what I do design, Mm. but it has become a really good vessel to explore things from different perspectives um, across disciplines and ultimately help achieve better outcomes for humans. Mm, Excellent. So as co-founder at Public then, what sort of projects are you involved in? What sort of work do you do? Mm, Public is an interdisciplinary research and design consultancy working in space. Yeah. Uh, it's co-founded by me and my husband, Edward, and we both uh, both bring very different professional perspectives um, to our work. So him having worked in the management of building design projects um, and earlier in data analytics, 
and me with a background in research and design. At Public, we focus on human-centered research and design with and for users and those that design spaces for them. We work with developers, town planners and architects or anyone else involved in space making to make spaces more human-centered for people. So we believe there's a great uh, opportunity to innovate the developer market, mm. um, be that in a commercial or civic space. We also think that good people-centered research and design can influence any stage of a project, but really it's probably the most beneficial at the beginning. So two of the projects that we're working on at the moment are really at that beginning stage. Mm. Um, the first one is a community center slash dining precinct in Brisbane yeah. that aims to create a gathering place for community in what's really at the moment quite a transient suburb. So we do upfront research around the types of users that will be visiting the center and that are there in the community at the moment. And we design services and experiences around their need to bring community together in one place. Mm. The developers and consultant teams are also Brizzy Locals. They're called 26 Street Design and they're young developers. And it's a really rich collaboration where we work together to shape the design of the centre as well as the services that go into it. Uh, this project will run for about one to two years mm. um, and there will be various stages to this going from user research um, into service and experience design while involving community members along the way. Another interesting project that we're working on at the moment is Australia's first Nightingale townhouse development. Very exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, so Nightingale, uh, quite well known by now, but Nightingale is a participatory-led approach to creating sustainable housing, quite uh, successful in Melbourne and has won many awards there. Our clients are an architecture practice called Refresh Design. Uh, were awarded by Nightingale the first license in Australia to build townhouses using this model. So that's very exciting because Nightingale in general and our clients uh, in particular um, have a strong social interest in that mm. approach when it comes to things like mixing different social groups and to create community. So we're looking into options like providing specialist accommodation for people with disabilities, having a social enterprise coffee shop or similar on the side, potentially a community garden or dog park. So the options are really exciting. And at the moment, we're really helping them to scope out um, what are the options in terms of land, because uh, it's quite tricky to find an appropriate site that would yeah. house enough people to make it viable. Yeah. Um, and we're really helping from the demographics perspective. And yeah, in that project, we're also going to be involved, obviously, for quite a long while. So once we have a suitable site, which is in the works at the moment, the user research really starts and then it goes from there identifying needs um, and working with the different groups to arrive at a design mm. that will be beneficial for the users in that place but also for the community at large. Excellent. Such an exciting project and I think there's been a really strong move towards co-living and, and that sort of sharing model around mm. the world. I've got a lot of it over in the Netherlands as well. Mm. But I mean, through your research then, what have you found to be some of the biggest problems that emerge in the design of these sorts of public spaces? Mm. The biggest problem that we see is one of really ingrained practices um, that mostly for commercial reasons create spaces that don't involve the user in the design process in a meaningful way. Yeah. So, you know, there's what's called community consultation, which is mandated but it's really more pro forma process often. Unfortunately, that is, comes often too late and doesn't really give, doesn't really shift the power to the user. Yeah. And again, there's commercial reasons for that because the developer carries all the risk, the financial yeah. risk. So it's fair enough that, you know, they have more control over it. So the interesting question, I guess, is mm. in, in the 
developer space and the architecture spaces, how can we distribute the risk and how can that be reflected in the financial models? So how do the banks actually think about risk mm. in terms of financing large-scale projects? Yeah. So it's not just, you know, the baddie developer, but it's a, it's, it's a chain of kind of things that need to be tweaked and, mm. and, and worked at, I think. My co-founder, Edward, has a background in working on large-scale public sector projects, so such as hospitals or health centers. Yeah. And he's often encountered a lack of capability on behalf of the project team to involve evidence of the user experience, so be that through research or co-design. Yeah, right. So it's not just the co-designing, but also even using evidence mm. from, from the experience and that that's a valid thing. Yeah. And to build that into the design process, that's can be can be challenging so costs are of course critical but sustainability is becoming more and more important as you just said and the dimension of sustainability that involves considering the human is we certainly believe becoming more and more important for the future of all our built environments mm. so what have you learned then in your previous roles as a designer about effectively engaging and designing alongside communities in order to tackle complex issues that may arise or, or complex issues that exist in communities? Mm. In my work as a designer, I've had the privilege to work with a broad range of organisations and in particular I've been working with many government organisations who are trying to change really complex systems, right? So like education or yeah. health. It's often difficult for large organisations to engage and design with communities in meaningful ways because there's, again, ingrained ways of working and thinking that need to be challenged and shifted. They're enforced through the silos and organisations, but also through the education system. Mm. So how things are taught at school or at university. Um, architecture training is a good example, actually. Um, so there's a strong, very strong discipline behind architectural practices, but truly interdisciplinary ways of working are still emerging as a normal way of doing things as an architect. So in particular, bringing in people from fields like psychology or anthropology mm. is still unusual. Yeah. <clears throat> and that then, you know, leads to a certain way of practicing the art of architecture. So having an interdisciplinary background myself, I know how important and valuable it can be in the design process. But practicing it at an organizational level um, is still something that mm. organizations are grappling with at my ex in my experience. Yeah. Personally, what I've learned from working with communities on complex problems is that human-centered design can really make a difference when done well, um, with integrity, and when it's embedded in a system and a way of working on a project or in an organization. I think sometimes, though, we can get carried away with large, complex problems mm. um, that take years mm. and decades to tackle yeah. and forget that they're quite tangible things that we all can do today to make things better. So at public, we really carry that sense of optimism that everybody can make a difference to society by taking a human-centered approach and that everybody, not just government, has an opportunity to change things for the better and that includes the private sector, which is, I guess, why we're interested in that nexus between yeah. the private developer and the public space, how that intersects. Mm. So that's why we are working together with partners in industry as well as more in the public space potentially with governments yeah excellent yeah. so throughout that human-centered design process are there any processes or tools or methodologies that you commonly use and, and find really helpful in doing that uh, great question uh, i think over time every practitioner develops their own toolkit but it really depends on the projects and the problem you're trying to address 
when interdisciplinary the team and complement each other in terms of the processes and methodologies we use for our work. So between us, we'll use demographic and other descriptive data and model that um, in different ways to understand the user groups that we need to consider in the design process. Um, but then we get on the ground and conduct ethnographic research, which involves a number of observational methods, mm. um, as well as direct engagement with people um, through interviews. That gives us a lot of important data on the site itself, but also its context in the location that, it, that it's in and what needs or constraints the community has, so the larger space around a particular site. So in the later stages of the design process, we do co-design work um, with future users and community members. And that then leads us into service and experience design itself. So overall, we're involved very early in the design process. And um, yeah, with our knowledge and methods complement really the work that the other consultants, or say the architects, um, do. Mm. So have you come across any really common reasons that participatory design projects might fail? Mm. I think it's often in the capability of organisations to really listen and to apply the feedback that community gives. So again, they're deep-seated economic and um, policy models that underpin a way of thinking in our society at large that um, requires strong leadership to be shifted. Mm. And that's not just in the you know, developer and architecture space that's in general. It's simply not everyday practice yet to involve people along the way in design decisions. Yeah. But I think people are recognizing more and more that this is what's needed. So it's really, I think, up to us as members of communities to hold leadership accountable for working in inclusive and participatory ways and to keep on practicing these new ways of working really. Mm. Totally. So what advice then would you give to the budding social innovators out there listening who are keen to contribute to tackling inequality in our communities? Look, I'd say that pushing a social innovation agenda is important for the reasons I've just mentioned before. But I also think it's important to learn how current systems operate um, so that you can change the system from within and work with the people who are in it and can bring them on board. At public, we're com complementing professionals who have very established ways of working, such as architects, town planners, yeah. developers. We're not questioning their processes, but instead we complement their work um, through human insights that help them to do their job even better. Mm. So this way, social innovation is baked into the system and just becomes a way of thinking and working rather than a kind of um, antagonistic mm. provocation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of a bit of both, a bit of provocation and a bit of uh, kind of added value yeah. or added benefit to people's current work. Totally. That's probably where it's at. Yeah. So you've been working in design and innovation for, for a while now, Lena. Mm. So how have you seen this social innovation movement transform and change over the last five years or so? And where do you see it heading? I can probably best comment in the context of design and social innovation. And I've seen it professionalize over the last couple of years, which mm. is great. Um, it's become less exotic to work as a designer in social innovation. And organizations are more and more adapting a social innovation mindset, or at least are undertaking steps to integrate it more into core mm. business. Um, certainly, we've seen it with our clients who are well established in their fields that more and more they feel a need to consider the social effects of the buildings um, that they put out into the world, not just the commercial effects. Mm. 
at public we're trying to build on this notion shaping and contributing to the conversation on participatory design and we certainly think it's going to become more and more important yeah so you mentioned nightingale earlier but are there any other inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you believe are creating some excellent positive social change yeah so i was going to put in a shameless plug (laughs) (laughs) why not yeah because i have to say i'm pretty excited about the nightingale work starting Mm. out in queensland and the possibilities that this has um, to set a precedent and how communities can be uh, involved in in the future um, in shaping our built environment. But I'm also inspired by some other local projects popping up up, um, probably in the accessibility space. Um, So at the recent Brisbane Innovate event, uh, the CEO of Young Care, Anthony Ryan, shared some details um, of their partnership with Lancini Property Development and how they had found an innovative business model that would allow young people state-of-the-art housing and eventually home ownership. So to me, yeah, everyone in the audience was really touched by that story. And um, to me, that was really such a great example of innovation, not just in the design process itself, but going back to the business model, Mm -hmm. which is where I think a lot of these ingrained ways of thinking and structures can really be changed. So when someone like that comes, you know, from very established property development background and says, hey, actually, let's try something new and it's working for us and for the user, that's really exciting. Um, So, yeah, I think we need more examples like this where really private sector organizations partner with social services organizations and, um, yeah, deliver accessible housing for all abilities. Mm, Excellent. Mm. So to finish things off then, are you a big reader? And if so, maybe you like audiobooks. Do you have a few really interesting books or reads that you could recommend? Yeah, sure have. Um, I've probably got um, three that I can think of. Uh, first one is called Architecture's Participation by uh, Professor Suzanne um, Hoffman. The other one I'd recommend um, if you're just starting out in the design space, service design space, is um, Service Design Doing mm. by Mark Stickdorn and a couple of other authors. It's pretty new, really. It's about a year or so old. It is pretty new. It's the follow-up from the service design thinking. Um, and this one's really good, very practical, mm. different case studies, got architecture in there as well. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, so some really nice breadth to it, I think. Yeah. Now that service design's a bit more established as a practice, it's... So I recommend it, yep. just to having a flick through. And my final one would probably be um, This Human by Melissa Nova, which is just a nice, um, lovely exploration of the human qualities and mindsets um, that it takes to do human-centered design and innovation mm. well. Uh, there's probably a bonus one that I've got. Throw it in there. Um, that's unrelated to design, but it's just accompanied me throughout my life. Um, and that's the short stories of Anton Chekhov. Is a 19th century uh, Russian novelist, and um, he dissected really this, the human psyche in a depressing and accurate way, like only Russians can. So, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Great. Well, I'll stick links through to them at the bottom of the article. So, Lena, thanks so much for sharing your generous insights and time today. We we'll look forward to following your projects and and tracking them down the path, and wish you lots of luck with, with these projects. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.